Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Papa. Howdy. Ward Bell. Yippee-i-ki-yay. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have two special guests. We have Uri Shaked. Shalom. And Netta, your last name's not on your... <laughs> Bondi. Netta Bondi. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Netta, Hi. Uh, so Uri's been on the show before, um, so I'm going to make you introduce yourself first. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, that's that's fun. My name is Net. It's actually in Hebrew. It's pronounced Netta, and I am a senior web developer at a startup called Really. Um, that's actually a lot more active in the states than it is in Israel. So What's maybe it again? Really, that's. R E A L I. Okay. Um, really? Not to be confused with really. Exactly. <laughs> because it stands for real estate, not for whatever other kind of really you're thinking of. Gotcha. What else? I, I feel like that's enough. That's, <laughs> is that good enough? Do you want to hey, know other things? Thank you, everybody, for coming. What <laughs> <laughs> adventures in Angular? Yeah, well, you know, we want a little history, like where you were born and, you know. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Now, how did you find yourself? Actually, how did you, no, more seriously, how did you find yourself in this space? Like, what's your, what's your trajectory? You fell out of bed and one day you were at really, or, or what happened? Oh, well, do you want, like, do you want to hear it from the beginning? Not that much the beginning, you know, like, <laughs> preferably something, something that was is short and compelling. Okay, well. So my university degree is actually in social work. And after I made that mistake, I made another mistake and went into marketing. And at a certain point in my life, uh, I decided to open a startup with a, I had a co-founder and I was supposed to be the marketing person and she was supposed to be the tech person. Uh, And about a couple of months in, she came up to me and said, look, I didn't know starting a startup was so hard, (laughs) so difficult. And I'm, I went out. And so at that point, I felt like I had a choice to either say, well, okay, that's done and close the door on that chapter of my life, or I could try build the product that we were building. And I opted for number two, and I taught myself how to code. And here I am today. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know, there are so many stories out there. And yeah. So many of them are, well, I had to learn to code, so I did. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think a lot of people are surprised that if you decide to make that leap, you, you will find that it's completely doable for you. Yep. Actually, so was that really or 
Was that something? Uh, the startup? No, that's yeah. not my. That was uh, quite a few years ago already. I'm not going to tell you how many because I'm a lady. <laughs> but that was my 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 introduction into into uh, web development and yeah. Awesome. And Uri, do you want to just remind people who you are since we haven't had John for a little while? Of course, but first, uh, actually, I think uh, Nana did one of the most amazing, started one of the most amazing communities in Israel, uh, which for some reason she hasn't mentioned. Um, because I, I, I just know like, how long this introduction needed to be. So I was, <laughs> okay, be really fo- focused. Um, so do you want to talk about it, Uri? Um, I can say a few words, and then if you have <laughs> anything to add, I'm sure. Go ahead. Like, you created it, uh, you, you probably know better. Anyway, she's a co-founder of an organization uh, that is called Baot, uh, which is the Hebrew word for, um, I would translate it as approachable or something like that. Like, yeah, that'd be wrong. Neither, <laughs> how, would you, how would you go? How would you go? So, go? so uh, no, because you've actually given this a lot of thought, and it's but in in the sense of uh, showing up, show up to show up. Okay, showing up. That's that's good. Yes, and basically, it's an organization of uh, women in tech, but it's like taking the top talents, collecting them together in a group, and then giving them a network that lets them uh, level up all the time, learn new skills, how to blog, how to go to conferences, um, how to explore new technologies, how to be like Neta. <laughs> so did, did, did I explain right? Yeah, I think you, yeah, pretty much. It is the largest uh, community of women in R&D in Israel today. So that's pretty cool. It might surprise you to know how much all of us could use those skills that you're teaching. So, uh, congrats. I was going to say, I need some Netta lessons, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I just feel like the expectations are getting higher and higher, and I don't know how to, like, come back from that. <laughs> so, I think, for me, the thing I like the most about both is that when I organize a meetup and I need a speaker on a specific subject, I can just say, hey, Neda, do you have somebody who is very good at uh, machine learning? And she will just throw me, as me, a list, a list of names. And I know that each one of those uh, people, of those persons, will be um, a good, like, a, ver- a very professional speaker with high-quality content. It's like a very... Um, how uh, would they say a very well selected group of very talented per, uh, uh, individuals that are very professional at what they do? And I don't think we have anything else like that here in Israel. I mean, I think it's a bit the other way around because it's not as though we do any sort of selection based on skills. We do, the only selection we do is you have to be a woman and you have to be like currently working. At, in a technological capacity, but I, I think it's it self-selects in a way. So you're getting these really strong speakers because the women that show up for this kind of activity are are strong technical people. That makes sense. I feel like that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough of that. 
We didn't mean for Uri to put you on the spot. Oh, that's okay. He he, he and I share a, a very put each other on the spot type of relationship. So nice. Well, um, we brought you on to talk about this uh, talk that you both gave in Poland, um, mm-hmm. speaking about Angular Ivy and React Fiber and reading source code from frameworks. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure if we want to start with Ivy, since this is an Angular show, or Fiber, since people probably aren't as familiar with it, or if we want to start with reading source code, or maybe we should just ask how this talk originated. How it originated? I think it was like six months ago, right, Neta? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I approached Neta. Like we, we both helped organize the biggest JavaScript meetup in Israel, JavaScript Israel, and we have a bi-monthly organizer meetings. So I think we started chatting after one of those meetings, and I asked her, "Hey, um, I would love to do a talk together with you." And she was like, yeah. But not in a creepy way. You said it now, it sounded creepy. (laughs) It wasn't creepy when it happened. (laughs) How how, how did it sound? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I I think you're, yeah. I don't don't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't so, I feel like it was more of, it it arose from a discussion rather than you coming up to me and going, hey, do you want to do a talk with me? So yeah, so anyway, she was doing React at the time and I was mostly doing Angular stuff. So we started to brainstorm and see perhaps we could talk about new web technologies or like new web APIs or what's coming to the web platform. And then uh, fast forward a few weeks, I got an email from uh, the organizer of a conference in Warsaw uh, from Emilia. And she asked me if I can come to speak at their conference. And I saw this as a great opportunity to finally uh, go with uh, Neda on stage. And since this was a front-end conference, and I do Angular and she does React uh, for the most part, we thought, why why wouldn't we try to compare both? And at that time, I was talking about Ivy, which is like pretty new still. And Neta just gave a very interesting talk about how she dug into React source code in order to understand Ivy, uh, or understand Fiber. So Neta, why did you dig into React source code? I think for me, it was just this, I've, I've been working with React for a while. And at a certain point, I just started to become curious about, okay, well, what does it actually do? So. I think the, the React team is quite good at explaining concepts and sort of giving an overview of what happens inside of React. They talk about things like async rendering, but I sort of, I wanted to, to see it with my own eyes and to sort of understand it on a, on a deeper and more detailed level. And so I said, well, you know, let's, Let's let's try. Let's give it a go and see what we can find. And I started with um, what I thought would be mapping um, a simple path, which is um, so. How much background do I need to give when I'm speaking about React? Um, you're probably going to need to give at least some. Um, I wouldn't say a whole lot. I mean, yeah. 
we, we, you know, we are all used to these application frameworks. And, and so if you say something that we think that our audience wouldn't understand, we'll, we'll stop you. Yep. Okay. So I started with mapping this, what I thought would be a, a, a simple flow, which is in React, when you are triggering, triggering a change in your app, when you want something to change, you need to call set state. That's what sort of triggers React's internal um, diffing mechanism. And so I wanted to see what happened between the time that you, you trigger, you call set state, and uh, your lifecycle method uh, component did update runs. It just seemed like a straightforward flow of something that would happen quite often in an application. And it turns out, which in hindsight should have been obvious to me from the get-go, but, but somehow wasn't. But it turns out that, that that does put you through the entire through this, this fiber, this diffing algorithm, and um, sort of takes you through that whole process. Uh, and so that, that's kind of how I got started, um, just trying to understand a little bit more in detail what the framework does. For Angular folks, that would be kind of like trying to understand how change detection works in Angular, I think. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't you, Yuri? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think one of the main things we focused when we build the talk is how do you compare Ivy and Fiber? Because they are two different concepts. Fiber is a specific part of uh, React that sort of does the figuring out what just changed and updating the DOM. And Ivy is more like a compiler and a renderer. So it's like comparing apples to lemons, I guess. Yeah, Maybe. but they're both fruit. They're both fruit. They're all about trying to manage the cycle. There was, although they take different approaches, they're about trying to take that cycle between the time in which somebody does something or something does something to something you're watching and then when it shows up on screen and, and how you just make that happen. And, and so the, the broad term for that is change detection, but they, the two platforms go at it differently. So does that make we sense? Have, we actually have a slide about that in the talk. Where, um, so in the talk, we used two different uh, characters. One would represent Angular and the other React, and they would show their emotions um, very uh, in your face. Like You can see what, from their emotions, uh, what we were trying to convey, which is sort of a conflict between uh, the two framework, between us presenting the two frameworks. But at some point, we reached the conclusion that they're actually not so different. And then you see the two characters side by side with hearts, if between them. It's just rainbows and unicorns. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. I just wanted to say that word pretty much nailed it. Nice. Now, one thing that I'm wondering about, Netta, especially as you describe this process, okay, I was going to go in and see what happens. For me, I'm more of the type where it's like, I got what I wanted out of the framework. So I'm perfectly content to sit back, you know, relax, lay in a hammock and let the magic just happen. So is, is there an advantage to digging in and, and seeing this kind of thing? I think that's a yes and no. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to give you a very straightforward answer to that. Is there an advantage as a developer using a framework? To me, the answer to that would be no. You don't need to dig into the framework internals in order to be able to use it very well, very effectively. And like you said, it's, it's easy and they're, they're made to be easy. They're ma- made to be e- easy to use. To me, the benefit is different. And I think it, 
there's, there's two aspects to it. One is that I don't, I don't like the magic. I, I, I feel like for me, I just, it, it bugs me. Like it, it gets to me when I don't really understand. And the thing about React was also that for the longest time, um, before Fiber and, and also after Fiber, React was talking about this, this thing called the, the, the virtual DOM. And that was a concept that in the old React, I felt like I kind of had a sense of how that worked. But when Fiber got implemented and some of the things that followed, it kind of stopped making sense. And I could still use React. The API was the same. But it, it just kind of got to me that I, I didn't fully understand it. And then as I was doing this, um, there's another benefit that I discovered. And that, that only happened once I started um, getting into it, which is that you sort of learn that there's no magic and there's no magicians. Like nobody writing these frameworks is any sort of, they're, they're not doing magic. They're writing JavaScript. And that's something that you can learn. And you can have confidence in your ability to understand that and in your ability to use that um, by sort of demystifying it for yourself. I'll buy that. I mean, it's the same thing with any of the other systems I've used. Um, for example, you know, I've done Ruby forever. And if I'm willing to go, you know, take the trouble to figure out some of the C code, I can see how Ruby works. You know, same here, you know, or in Angular, if I want to go read a bunch of TypeScript, um, I can figure out how it works because it's, it's, it's right out there in the open. You just have to take the time to go look at it. Right. And I think you also need to sort of, I mean, I don't know, this is interesting. Maybe we can also compare this, Uli, because for me, at, at the very beginning of this process, I sort of felt like, I, well, I wasn't sure if I was going to get it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to to look at it and read it. And if if I had the, you know, if I was like good enough to understand it, I think that's, I think that's something that a lot of people feel. So the, part of it is that you really don't need to do this in order to be, to, to use the framework well. But part of it is that a lot of people are afraid of it. And a lot of people are afraid of finding out that it's, that it's not something they can do. I don't know Uri, if you've like, if you've ever felt that, or like, if you like, if walking into IV, you were like, yeah, this, I'm going to nail this. I want to crush it. Like, what were your... <laughs> I was going to say, did he freeze? But then I saw him move. But now I think he did freeze. Well, he, Am I frozen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You look like you're reflecting heavily on the question. Yeah. <laughs> so while Yuri, I think you'll probably have to cycle Yuri to get back in. But, but Netta, so while he's reviving himself, I want to ask you a question about five. Oh, he's, I saw him move. Oh, he's back. Okay, answer away. Am I back? Am I back? You're back. You're yeah. back. You're back. Yes. So did, did you ask me a question that I think about? Um... Whether you were intimidated by driving down into Ivy or whether you and felt like you weren't up to it or whether you said, well, I'm going to do it anyway because why not? How did you, what was your attitude? Because because if I, I don't want to paraphrase Netta, but I think what you were saying is that it was a challenge. It was, there was fear. There was, can I do it? Am I good enough? And right. you discovered, yes, I am. And <laughs> uh, you just wondered whether other people go through that same cycle of terror. So specifically with Ivy, I actually had a very good uh, starting point because I did pretty much the same with the previous Angular compiler. And what happened with the Angular compiler, like for Angular 2.0, I think 
I saw somebody from the core team showing the output of the compiler in one of the, their talks. And I was like, hmm, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe I can just make a talk out of that. And I, I, I actually had some idea about how the compiler might work uh, based on their talk. And I hoped it would be easy enough for me to actually be able to build some sort of at least a part of the compiler from scratch during a, a short workshop. So I submitted a do-it-yourself Angular compiler for a workshop for ng-conf uh, two years ago. And when I had to, just before the, the, the uh, giving this workshop, I realized that it's actually much more complex than what I thought. And there are so many points that I don't understand. So. What I basically did, I reached to Igor Minar and I asked him, hey, I'm going to give this workshop and to be honest, a little bit more complex than what I thought and it's not documented. So I'm looking at the output of this compiler and I'm seeing a bunch of things. And even if I can explain to people, hey, this is what it does, I can explain to them why it does it this way, not another way. He actually paired me with, um, what was his name, Tobias. And Tobias and I spent about an hour um, going over the material, and Tobias just explained to me all, he answered all my questions, and he basically gave me a really good understanding of how they approach designing this. So I had this advantage of somebody who could walk me through and answer my questions. And I was even lucky enough to have Tobias sit on the same uh, room where I uh, did this workshop. And whenever I got a question that I didn't know how to answer, I had a source of authority that I could just ask. And if you listen to that, um, it was recorded. If you listen to the recording, you actually uh, you can actually hear me asking Tobias one or two times, uh, actually, why, why did you do it like this? I have no idea. That was that for performance reasons? So in my case, I sort of had somebody to hold my hand when I needed. I didn't need it a lot, but when I needed it, it's like instead of banging your head against the wall and trying to figure something out, it's really helpful when somebody said to you, actually, we didn't really test this, so uh, we just chose the, the first implementation that we thought about, or we tested it uh, against another option, and it was more performant. And then when I went into, the, into looking into Ivy, I actually did, I learned from the first experience, and instead of um, just doing it all by my own, I contacted uh, Alex from the team. Alex Rickbow, I think that's how he pronounced uh, his last name. And Alex, uh, and I did the same with Alex. I just spent one hour um, on a hangout with him. And apart from some uh, fun personal stories, we also walked through uh, all what they did with Ivy. And again, I, I only started doing all my Ivy stuff after I heard, I think it was Kara talking about it in Angular Connect last year. Yeah, I, I just thought I would interject here for a second to tell the folks that if you can hear a talk from Kara or from Alex on the subject, you are listening to two of the best explainers in the world. Both of them are fantastic speakers, as well as really bright folks who know what they're doing, and they're both on the Ivy Project, so it's fantastic. 
One other thing I wanted to add here was that Uri's experience as far as getting in and realizing, hey, there's a whole lot more going on here. That's my experience diving into any open source I've ever looked at is, you know, you get in and you're thinking, this is pretty simple, right? It just takes my stuff and it, you know, it does DOM stuff. And then you realize there are a lot more concerns in here than I thought. And I'm wondering, how do you not get lost, especially if you can't get that kind of help from the core team? <laughs> so I think the one, one thing that I did uh, from the beginning is that I would try to sift between the things that were important for whatever it is that I was trying to figure out um, and the things that were um, nice to have in a way. So for example, inside of React, there is a lot of, uh, React deals with, with time a lot. So it, it has expiration dates and it checks these expiration dates and it does all sorts of things that have to do with time. But these are sort of secondary to its main, to its main reconciliation algorithm. So for the first few times that I was trying to figure this out, I, I completely cut that out. So I said, and there's a, there's a bunch of other stuff that's going on as well that I hadn't even looked at. So I, I, I focused on the thing that I was trying to understand and I tried to remove anything that didn't seem like it was really necessary in order to understand that. That makes sense. So can I ask you a specific question about fiber that's been, I've been wondering about? Uh, my, uh, my understanding is that one of the th- attributes of fiber is that it's, while it's calculating what, what to do, it realizes it has a time window in which to complete that. And then it'll say, ah, I'm putting this on hold while I let somebody else uh, get a, a word in edgewise. And Angular doesn't do that. And I'm wondering, wondering why that feels so valuable in React. And then I'll ask Yuri why we don't worry about that in Angular. Here's what React does. So React keeps a structure of, of objects, a structure, a data structure that is called a linked list tree. So it's a tree of linked lists. And these objects represent the components that we have in our app. And when React is doing its reconciliation, it's going over this entire tree and it's doing all of these updates and it's and it calculates the children and then it updates the children. So it's, it's doing a lot of stuff. And that is time consuming. And so during this process, it needs the ability to be able to stop and allow, for example, the rendering pipeline to run, which is the main concern with Fiber was that trying to get very smooth, good-looking animations. And I, th- I think, and, and Uri's going to speak to this in a second, but I think with Angular, it doesn't do this whole big calculation before it updates each and every component. So React does this this calculation and it makes sure all of this link, all of these objects on this linked list tree, that they're all updated with whatever new data they need. And then only then it goes and sort of updates the DOM. So there's a lot more calculations going on. And and that tree is a representation of what the DOM would look like when it's done rendering? It's a representation of the state of the DOM. The relationships in that tree are are different, obviously, because it's it's linked list, so it doesn't look like a DOM tree, and and it's designed to 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 be able to to reconcile, to to update all of the the state of all of the components, and then to also keep a reference to whatever state currently exists in my application. And then you know I, I update everything, I get the new state, I update the application, and then I keep that new state as a reference to what I've got 
going on right now. Right, right. I, it, yeah, uh, just to follow your point, it's a representation, which is why they hate hate it when it's referred to as a virtual DOM because it's not it's not a uh, it's not trying to be a representation of a DOM. It's trying to be a, a structure that would let you manipulate DOM, uh, represent a state of the DOM without actually being literally a virtual DOM, and that's 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 why that distinction has been so important to them. Is that fair to say? I mean, I can't speak for for them, obviously, but I think. Yes, this is one of the reasons. And the other reason is that it's... So the the virtual DOM used to be a thing in React, um, and it's not anymore. So they've, they've switched to, to fiber in this fiber tree. Um, and so for the sake of also trying to create a more accurate mental model for the people using the framework, I think they're trying to sort of phase out this virtual DOM, even though it was a good means of, of, of understanding React on a very high level. That's my yeah. guess, though. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that makes total sense. That aligns with the, you, you know, you listen to this stuff and you wonder what it really means and, and, and you're making so much sense. Now, now Yuri, um, so why don't we need that in Angular? That's a good question, first of all. Actually, when we compared... Um, Angular and React, we also found another interesting difference, which is the way um, both frameworks attach event handlers to DOM element. So in Angular, if I put a click listener on some div, for instance, then Angular would actually attach a very um, the, the event listener on the very same element, on that div element. And apart from the listener implementation, it will also add a small wrapper that call, will call prevent default. But basically, Angular just does what we tell it. If we tell it we want to listen or click on this div, it will attach an event listener on a click on this div and redirect it, like invoke our code that handles this event listener as you would expect. With React, however, things are a little bit more surprising. Instead of attaching a click event at that specific element, it would actually um, use delegation. So it would attach the event at the document level, and then it would run a whole bunch of code to figure out which component should receive this uh, click event. So whenever you click, React actually runs a bunch of code that does what the browser would have otherwise done. That's another question, which I'm not sure why they do it this way, instead of letting the browser handle the figuring out which event listener belongs to which element. And I guess there there are some reasons, some reasons for doing that. I would really love to know. As far as the change detection, I know that in Angular it can sometimes be a bottleneck, and that's why we can opt out from the default change, like run the entire change detection whenever something happens and uh, use this on push or uh, disable zone.js completely and just roll it on our own. I think that for most applications, it's just not a concern. So it's better to keep things simple. And then if you have some very specific needs for performance, that are not covered by the default setup with ZoneGS and automatic change detection, then you can roll on your own and just trigger the change detector manually or use on push in order to improve performance where it really hurts. 
So, yeah, well, I, th- I thought React had something similar like that, too. You could sort of declare that nothing was really going to go on here from this com- part of the component tree down and that it could safely ignore it. I, don't, I, I, I vaguely recall something like that. Is that right, Anna? That's a good question. <laughs> so what, what we haven't actually said was that, please don't ask me to, to talk about Angular, but I, I do write Angular today. So it's possible that, that something like that exists and I haven't, I write React at home, but I don't write it on any large production apps. But in React, also the situation is different, right? Because there is no automatic change detection. I have to explicitly call set state in order to trigger change detection. And so that issue that you get with Angular where change detection can sometimes uh, be very heavy, in React, it's controlled by the developer. Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics including scalability, data flow, state management, full-stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. So let's bubble this up and, and ask, what did you guys learn about these frameworks um, from your own investigations and from talking to each other? What were the, like, the big takeaways? Were there any takeaways? <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, I, I was actually surprised by one pattern that stood out to us when we did the comparisons. So one of our main tools to dig into these uh, frameworks was just creating a small demo apps on stacklets and putting debugger statements inside click handlers and inside the lifecycle methods of React, and then looking at the JavaScript code that was calling this method at the call stack. And one thing that really stood out is that in Angular, these call stacks were always very short and uh, simple. And in React, they were always very long in a part of a uh, more complicated process. I, I think it's very interesting. It seems like Angular takes most of the complexity for the compiler time. So the compiler is like, I think the bundle is about one megabyte of code that runs when you build your application, but then it doesn't have to run inside the browser. Whereas React, doesn't really have any kind of compilation step apart from uh, JSX. So it does all of its tricks in runtime. And perhaps this also gives us some pointers to why fiber is needed. Just a guess that comes into my mind as we speak. Meta. Yeah, I think that's right. I think React and Angular and any front-end uh, framework really um, they're, they're dealing with similar problems and they're trying to solve similar issues, whether it is sort of preventing too many changes to the DOM or, I don't know, handling AJAX requests uh, well. And they do it in different ways. You were speaking before about the events, Uri, and it sort of got me thinking about something I, I actually haven't thought of until now, which is this event delegation pattern is 
designed for performance. It's designed to minimize the amount of active listeners you have on your page. You just put the one listener at the document level and then you do what you need to do. But then you get this really huge, well, let's not say huge, but you get a, you get a large call stack um, and all of these things are happening. And it's, it's a good question. Like how, how does that affect performance? Like what is the, the trade-off that React is doing here? But at the same time, I have to say, to me as a user of frameworks, it doesn't look like there is a huge difference in performance today. To me, if I were to start a new project today and I had to choose a framework, I would probably go either based on whatever business concerns I had or just based on preference, like what I preferred to write, what I felt more comfortable with. And so they're solving similar problems in different ways. And the end result seems to be pretty much similar. And so I think one of the takeaways is that definitely a lot of these uh, framework wars that we sometimes get into are not justified in any sort of significant way. Well, I mean, yeah, it's much better to argue whether to use Mac or Windows, right? Yes, so much better. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when people ask me, should I use Angular or React or Vue or whatever, I usually tell them, especially if they are not engineers, um, try to think about yourself in six months when you need to hire people to work with these technologies, which technology will you have easier time hiring people to work on? And I think this really depends on where your company uh, engineering center is, because there are people where there are places where React is really strong, and there are a lot of React developers, and places where there are a lot of Angular developers, and there are just some developers who obviously just enjoy developing, and the framework doesn't really matter for them. And like Neda said, she is. She likes React and she also does Angular. So basically, I guess for an employer, both would be good choices, really. I feel like that pointing us towards the lowest common denominator, which would at this point be something like jQuery. Like, what can you get the most developers for? <laughs> Just go with Is that the advice you're giving people, Uri? Just give me jQuery. I know how to get my way around. No need for compilers. No need for transpilers. Don't give me transclusion. I don't know. It sounds like a song from Shai Resnick. <laughs> it's more interesting to see the common parts than the, difference, the differences. There is so much in common and you suddenly realize how much work frameworks are doing in order to make our life a little bit simpler. I mean, just try to create your next app with vanilla JavaScript, no framework, and it will probably be easier for the first 10 lines of code. But then as soon as you need to update some data, send it to the server, do something with a timer and process the data in some way, it starts to get really messy and if you enjoy spaghetti, then yes, this is for you. But otherwise, a framework really helps you focus on the task at hand and not write CSS because there are a lot of pre-made components you can use for like getting up and running real quick with trying to solve the actual problem you're trying to solve and not uh, reinventing the wheel or something like that. 
No, it makes sense. And I really love the point too, where it's like, look at what they have in common, but then you'll see different approaches to what they have in common. And so you can still go and learn plenty from it, even though you're, you know, you're seeing the same problem solved. It's just a different way of looking at it. Hey, y'all, I've been listening and I've been abnormally quiet, (laughs) but what I'm missing a lot of this is like, there's, there's part of my brain that's going, this is fascinating to hear about how the different frameworks speed things up and what they're doing for performance. But then the other half of me is going, I just want to write my code. I just want to go write React, Angular, Vue, or the yep. Chuck Wood framework, you know, whatever it is these days. And I don't see a problem Chuck with JS. performance. I'm, I'm inventing it. I, I'm inventing it. Yeah, and you should. And I think it's good that these teams are focusing on performance. It's kind of like when I buy a car. I, I, a good friend of mine uh, bought a car this week and we were talking about stuff and I'm thinking there's a lot of mechanics in this car that make it really cool, but do I really care? All I care is that when I get in, it works. That's like the number one thing. Uh, it's efficient enough to get me from point A to point B safely and you know, that I don't have to spend a million dollars to get it from there. And I'm kind of feeling the same way with React, Angular, and Vue these days. I made the comment recently about and not a lot of people like this comment, by the way, so I'll preface it with that, that maybe we've gotten to the point with these big three frameworks that they become a commodity. I mean, that really, whatever one you pick, it's fine. Like, you're going to be able to solve the problems and they're all good. And I feel like half of my developer brain's going, it's great that Ivy's coming out and React is getting faster and Vue's got some cool stuff, but are we really nickeling and diming at this point? I mean, how, how do you all feel? Well... I mean, when I look at things, for me, it's what problems can I solve with this, right? Um, the, the performance tends to matter in a few circumstances. But for the most part, I just want code that functions, right? I mean, that, that's essentially what you're saying. And, and, you know, you mentioned a car. And for me, another feature that's important and very, you know, in a very similar vein to what we're talking about here, I kind of like working on my own car, just kind of like I like working on my own code. So it has to be easy to work on. But I think a lot of the frameworks have solved a lot of those problems. And for probably 95% or more of the circumstances out there, any of these frameworks can do the job without really getting too far off the beaten path of how you would generally write an app in those frameworks. So yeah, I, I, kinda, I, I tend to agree with you on that, right? It's just, okay, what, what problems can I solve with this? How easy is it to solve? And if I have to go in and do my own mechanical work on it, you know, so I extend it a little bit here, or if I have to, you know, write some extra code over here, how easy is it to integrate into what the framework gives me? And yeah, for the most part, all of the frameworks tick all those boxes pretty well. Well, see, I have a different point of view. And why wouldn't I? Um, to me, they're also, um, they can all do it. And they're also, but they're also all miserable in their own way. Yes. Uh, and, and some of them are, are especially miserable in certain ways that are driving them, each of the frameworks, to try and scramble to do better. Uh, so fiber is a reaction to something. Uh, and uh, hooks and all these other things that we keep seeing is a reaction to something. And when you re- sort of read them talking about it honestly, um, you see what that something is that is characteristic of React. And, and, and if I could just put put it in a sentence it seems to me as an outside observer that it's all about the challenge of of cross of crossing uh of communicating across uh components that that just 
it ne- it never really kind of worked the way everybody wants it to. And then when you struggle in a React application, you struggle there. Now that's not to knock React because Ang- Angular has its own misery, uh, and that's what drives us to do other things. So Ivy is a reaction to something. It's not just oh we had a great idea because uh, great ideas are a dime a dozen. Ivy is a, a reaction to a miserable build experience in Angular, an experience in which you want to change anything and it has to know the whole world of all the Angular pieces and how they tie together. And yeah. Oh, wait, 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 word. Wait, miserable uh, build experience. Explain what a b- miserable build experience means. Uh, you know me, I'm hyperbolic. So I, <laughs> I, I tend to exaggerate, just like I talk, you know, the misery. And react. The, what, uh, the misery is... You know, we've seen sort of stagnation in the language service because yeah. it takes a long time to figure out what some, it's something simple you're doing in this one little place, in this one little component, and it seems to need to know about everything in your application. And therefore, the bigger your application, the more it has to know about it. And the fundamental, the reason for that, fundamentally in Angular as it is today, is that it has to compile the whole thing in order to know how the pieces go together. That's why we have ng modules, which are busily trying desperately to declare everything to all parts of the application. And so you kind of get into a spiral and it, and it's very hard. It becomes harder to write tools and it becomes harder to bug and you just get lost. So these are the, these are our, and, and, and we start, we're busily declaring things all over the place. We're writing all these, you know, all these annotations and the decorators. And John, you know how this, you know, every time somebody new comes to this, they look at it and say, why are you making me write so much crap that I don't have to write? Because we can. Because we can. We don't have to in React and we don't have to. And if we have a new idea in Angular, you know, it's like, how do I fit it into the existing experience? How do I grow this framework without making it topple over? And, and, and at the same time, support people who are used to the old versions. And so Ivy is a reaction to those challenges uh, in the way that maybe Fiber and, and, and Hooks and, and Context are the reaction in React to the challenges of building a real application. Because yes, in yeah. each of these things, we can do stuff, but I, each of us is just pounding our head against certain walls in using these things. And, and, and that's why I find some of these, these um, forward, you know, the way in which each framework tries to step forward reveals to me what, what my development experience is going to be like because it's trying to make it better. So I, yeah, but- I like the way you put this, but I, I think, and I agree with you, which shouldn't be surprising, but what I, what I would really love to see is we talk so much about the thing, Ivy, and to me, it, it's the activity. There's an activity of this thing called Ivy that's getting built, but what is the impact it's going to have on developers' lives? And the only thing we usually hear is it's going to make builds smaller, which will make things faster, which is cool. I mean, that's very cool. It can be wrong. But as you and I were talked a lot with people on the show here, not every app really suffers from being too slow, right? So large, super large apps, this will have be a huge benefit. But I'd love to hear more about, not that we're building or working on Ivy, but the benefits you're going to have, are, and I'm making this up, so don't take this verbatim. <laughs> the benefits you're going to have are the pain points in Angular are going to get less pain. There's going to mm-hmm. be less con- um, code to write, so more convention over configuration. The build times and recycle times of hot module refresh will be faster. Uh, builds will be smaller. Uh, applications will lazy load and prefetch and work with HTTP2 so you can actually, you know, make a better user experience. These are the kind of things I'd like to hear about as opposed to there's a cooler engine under the cover. Yeah. You know, when I look at what I'm seeing from Ivy, you know, the thing, because I don't care about smaller, faster, because I'm always writing for the browser instead of mobile and stuff like that. 
I, the debugability of it. Oh, man. Right, and right. That I can, you know, know I can put a breakpoint in the HTML. Holy smokes. That, you totally. know, and see, see what that's going to be. That's just like killer. That's a killer feature for me because that I beat my head on that wall as a developer. The fact that I can, um, I'm going to be able to extend the, 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 the metadata so much better. The fact that I'm not going to have those ridiculous NG factories flying around that I can't even <laughs> see that are caused, you know, so I get all this broken code. The fact that I'm not going to have two compilers to deal with, you know, all the time. Um, these are the things that are biting me in the ankles, if not higher up on the anatomy. <laughs> and I just, you know, so that's to me, it, it's just, that's what Ivy means to me. It, I, and I'll, I even I'll tell you a word. Yeah. I've never gone to a, a conference or a corporate company or a startup or, or worked one on one with a developer who said to me, boy, I wish the compiler was faster. But I have heard, I wish it was easier to, to debug. Mm-hmm. I wish it was smaller and faster to run. I mean, the things you're saying, the benefits, I think those are great. And I agree Ivy is going to be wonderful. I just wish the conversation about Ivy and these compilers would shift more towards, this is the benefit that the millions of developers around the world who do JavaScript are going to get, as opposed to, hey, look, we got a new thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with both of you. The thing that I'm coming from is more or less what, what Ward wrapped up with, where he said, this is what Ivy means to me. And I think, I think that's where uh, Uri and Netta, uh, as they dove in, right, it was, well, I want to understand how this piece works. I want to, I want to understand how this thing that means something to me does its thing. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's all the same conversation. Um, but to your point, John, specifically, I, I 100% agree with your analysis of, hey, it's going to make these things better. And then if I build an app that evolves in a way to where, yeah, the bundle size matters most to me, then I'm going to approach it and be excited about Ivy for that or the speed, if the speed matters or if the debugging matters, the debugging, right? But the issue is, is that I also see where the Angular team's coming from, where they, you know, they can ship and sell the whole thing as Ivy or they can ship and sell all of these expectations as, yeah. um, as fiber, right? I mean, that, we, we do it with everything, you know, the political parties in the US. Everybody I talk to who votes one way or the other, Democrat or Republican, they all care about different things, like as their top issue. You know, you, you'll get some general trends over like the, the big, big things. But for the most part, they've got a handful of things that they really care about. And so their party has basically put out a platform that, that includes those things in their coalition. And it's the same thing we're talking about here with Ivy, where it's like, you know what, I'm a blah, blah, blah person. And the reason is, is because I care about these things and Ivy's supposed to make it better for me. Well, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with, and I think these are great points that, my, just to fill up this conversation on this particular part of the topic, the two things I'm most excited with Ivy for personally are debugging improvements, because mm-hmm. I think that is me fantastic. And the second is, from what I understand, with Ivy, we'll actually be able to create a web component with Angular using Angular Elements and have a super tiny footprint for Angular to drop in the page. Because like today, you can do that with the other frameworks where you can create a web component of a tiny little footprint for it. Um, mm-hmm. But with Angular today, You've got a web component and you've got this large Angular compiler that you have to put up there, which it's just not reasonable. So with right. Ivy, web components becomes a real thing with Angular, in my opinion. Yeah, that and, and dynamic templates. I mean, it's just a whole series of beautiful yep. things that, that draw, address real problems. And I have to say over on the React side, when I've read about the hooks thing, the, the write-up for the hooks thing, that was, such, that was such, so beautifully done because it really called out what this would mean for you. 
what what problem is hook solving? And it was sol- it's not solving a problem that matters to an angular person necessarily, but it really clearly mattered to a React person. Well, and just to give you some context on that, as soon as it came out, um, we had four or five people that wanted to come on React Roundup to talk about it. And that's that's how big a deal it was over there, right? Yeah, and I want to I want to say Uri Netta, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody or to say that you know what you're doing and diving in isn't valuable. First of all, I, I totally respect that, and people like you, and then and Max, uh, you know, over at uh, Angular in Depth, I think it's fantastic that you all dive into how these things work. It's just from my personal interest level, I'm less worried about how than than I am about what's this going to do for me. And I'm a teacher, the people that I teach and I work with from their standpoint. So. We all have different angles. We've all talked about the different things that Ivy, Chuck, you said it best. What does Ivy mean to me? And I think it's great that we all have different perspectives on this. Uh, and I think it's fantastic that Vue, React, and Angular are all making massive improvements in the same area. Yeah. One thing that I want to dive into before we wrap up is just uh, for both Uri and Netta, as you dive in and, and start looking at this stuff, if there's a particular aspect of React or React Fiber or uh, Angular in general or Angular Ivy, um, how do I start tracking down the things that I really want to look into? Because when I look at these code bases, especially Angular, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. And, you know, it, it's fairly well organized in a lot of places, but I, I still easily get lost. So how do, you, how do you orient yourself when you get into a code base like React or Angular? So that, that is a good question. And I started thinking about it after um, attending Netta's lecture of where she told the story of how she read the React source code. And it got me thinking how, like, trying to understand the, how I do this. And I think uh, I, I put together a blog post with some suggestions. So I will just give you the gist. So basically... First of all, I would start by cloning the repository of the project. So I have a local copy, and that makes it really easy to search and use all of the TypeScript features to um, go to symbol and everything. And then I would start with looking uh, for some kind of documentation, like a contributing file or inside the doc folder, just to get a sense of the global organization of the project. The next thing I would probably try to do is either to look for, let's say I'm looking for the implementation of ng-if, I would just look for a, a file that has something uh, with ng-if in the name, or by looking at the docs, I can tell ng-if is inside Angular Commons, so I look into the relevant folder in the source code. And then another thing I can do is just search. So if I want to find the implementation of set state in React, I would just uh, search inside a core package for set state and see what matches I have. And then another thing uh, that can also be helpful, if I know what I want to debug, for instance, I want to debug um, the rendering of a template in React, I would just put a debugger a statement in the render method, and then the debugger will stop and I will see the complete call stack. So that would give me like where to start looking. I took a similar and also slightly different approach. When I first started, I searched for anything I could find online that was any explanation I could find about React Fiber. And these resources exist. There aren't that many of them, but it's definitely good. So there is a really good talk by Lynn Clark 
um, explaining fiber that came out, I think it was 2017. So it was early days for, for fiber. Um, and she was uh, explaining it. So that's an example of a resource that I looked into before I ever started looking at source code. The second thing I did and that I would definitely recommend is be very specific about what it is that you're trying to understand. Don't look in there and say, oh, I, I want to understand Angular or not even I want to understand IVs. I would pick a flow that you as a user of the framework know of and that you have access to parts of it and try and dig in and, and discover what happens behind the hood for those specific parts. And then um, beside you using the methods that um, Uri mentioned about that you could just go into the code and search for things. You can also debug or put a debugger statement somewhere that you can actually see, that you can actually understand, and then look at what is happening. For example, in, in React, it is very obvious with the call stack that there is a lot happening behind the scenes. So you, if you put a debugger at some visible point, like in a, um, in a lifecycle method, then you can see that a lot of what's happening behind the scenes over there. And then you also get the sense of the process. And then the last thing that I did a lot and I would really recommend is that just I, I went very um, beautiful mind and I created a lot of diagrams trying to sort of track my own thoughts and the things that I found out. And it was very old school, like pen and paper, writing stuff down, trying to figure out how stuff connects. And so just you can also like use whatever tools work for you if, if you want a more visual representation or if you just feel like writing down the things you discover as you go along. That also helps, especially when you're dealing with, with very complex operations where you need to keep track of what's going on. I love it. And then uh, just to add another technique that I really love doing, it sometimes works when you have no idea if, uh, where to start looking for what you, uh, you want to find. So sometimes if I just want to, like, I have some library or framework that I'm using in my app and I want to debug one of the problems that I have with it or one of its behaviors, I just go into my node modules and start deleting files until things break. And when things break, I realize I probably hit the right spot or maybe not. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we've been talking for quite a while. Is there anything else that we absolutely need to cover before we do picks? Uh, I just want to say it's after midnight here. Oh, wow. <laughs> that sacrifice. We appreciate you uh, taking the time. Don't, you. you don't need to. We didn't sacrifice anything. He's been awake since like one. He hasn't even been awake for 12 hours yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's my secret. Yep. Crack at noon. That's when he gets up. <laughs> yep. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. 
You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash angular. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Ward, you have some picks for us? Oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I'm pickless. <laughs> so pass me by. Yeah, there's the default Star Wars pick, right? Uh, just about any movie except Star Wars uh, <laughs> will 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 do. Actually, did, I, I probably did see. I'll, I'll think of one. Come back to me later. All right, John, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, my pick is NG Atlanta. It's early January, and it's looking to be the second version of this event in Atlanta, obviously for Angular. And I'm excited to go see it. Last year, it was uh, really nice. First time that they ran it. Uh, it's a highly diverse, inclusive conference. They really try to focus on that. And it's something I hope will pick up in more than just this conference, but at a lot of other conferences too. So check out NG Atlanta. I think it's early January. If you haven't booked your ticket yet, go check it out. It's going to be a great lineup. I will be there too. Nice. Yeah, I went last year. It was awesome. Uh, not going to make it this year. That, that was actually one of my picks. You stole my picks, John. 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 All right. I've got a couple of picks I'm going to throw out here. The first one is fart bombs. And yeah, you heard me, <laughs> fart bombs. So, so there's right. this video on YouTube. This NASA engineer uh, had packages disappearing off his porch. So he made his own. And it had cameras on cell phones that were streaming the video up to the cloud. And it also had this, this cup on a motor that would spin and it would throw glitter everywhere. I mean, it, it was just awesome. So what he did is he put it out on his porch and then somebody would come and pick it up and go take it in their car. And they would open it in their car and it would get glitter all over the car. And then he'd be like, what the heck? And then they'd start driving off and then you'd hear this uh, motor turn on uh, for a second, every 30 seconds. And you'd hear it and they'd be spraying fart spray in their car. <laughs> and so then they'd throw it out the window and he'd go pick it up because it had GPS in it. I guess he let a few people borrow it because he had footage of like five or six people stealing this package and uh, paying the price. Um, anyway, I was crying when I watched it. It was so funny. Anyway, so I, I really, really enjoyed that. One other pick that I'm going to throw out here is uh, I have people occasionally ask me how to get coaching. And then when I tell them my coaching rate, they get a little bit, you know, well, I can't afford that. But I'm so busy that it's just really hard for me to take the time. So I found a way for people to get coaching that you can afford. And that is, if you contribute to devchat.tv in a very specific way, then I will give you coaching. I'm switching the site over from WordPress to another system called 11D. It's a, a static site renderer. Anyway, it, it's, it's making some things really, really simple for me. But I'm finding that not a lot of the episodes were tagged and some of the older episodes, show notes aren't up to snuff. So if you find an episode that does not have show notes, you can contribute to the show notes. If you do it for three episodes, you listen to the episode and you write the show notes and you write them like the show notes are currently written, then I will do an hour coaching with you for three episodes. If you listen to an episode and tag five episodes, um, you know, put tags in, then I will also do an hour's worth of coaching, but you have to listen to the episode. So anyway, just putting that out there. Uh, the repo is on GitHub. It is public. It's on my GitHub repo. Uh, my GitHub is cmaxw, C-M-A-X-W. And the repo is devchat eleven d and eleven d is the static site generator I'm using. So anyway, just putting that out there. I would love to get some help on it. 
Um, I'm also going to be emailing the mailing list. So a lot of people, anyway, I just open an issue with the episodes you're going to do it on. And that way I know that it's you. So when, when it gets submitted, I don't have to, you know, worry about people doing the same episodes. So that's my pick. Uh, and, and I appreciate the help if anyone helps. Ward, did, did you say you had another pick or? Yeah, yeah, I actually had a pick. Uh, I realized on a plane flight home, I watched Black KKK Men by Spike Lee. And it's really a good film and you might not have heard about it, but it's, it's wild. True story, or at least based on a true story of a 70s black cop in Colorado Springs who infiltrated the KKK, which for our Israeli friends, you may not know, but that's a white racist, anti-Jewish, anti-black, anti-everything organization um, that has a long history going back to right after the Civil War. Everybody uh, knows the KKK. They, well, they've made a global know. name for themselves. They have, they have made a name for themselves. Well, Spike Lee took this on, but it's what a crazy story that a black cop was able to infiltrate it. And it's beautifully acted, really well constructed, surprising, scary given our current climate in America. Highly recommended. All right. Uh, Netta, what are your picks? Can I pick React? <laughs> you can pick whatever you want. Sorry. I had a hard time because I don't do a lot of stuff but i do watch some netflix when i'm trying to unwind so i was gonna give my top picks from netflix so i watch a lot of stand-up and you know how stand-up when you watch it at home it's funny but it's not ha-ha funny so you'll find yourself going like huh that that's funny but only in your head there's two shows that made me laugh out loud on Netflix. One is uh, Hassan Minaj, Homecoming King, and one is Elder Millennial by Eliza Schlesinger. So those are my picks. Awesome. Oh, oh you got to put the links in here. Put the links in here because I got some Netflix time. Yeah, just, just type the titles in at least in the chat and then we can get links to them. Uh, Uri, what are your picks? Yeah, I heard like John is just sitting at his, in his home just on vacation for uh, Christmas, so uh, this will be a good way to pass the time. So speaking of John, uh, one of my picks was also NG Atlanta, and I think other than being a great conference uh, which encourages diversity, I really like the story behind it, which is um, Zach, the person that started it. I'm not sure if the details are 100% correct, but the idea is he created this because of his uh, two years old, or she used to be two years old daughter. And he tried to imagine what future he wanted his daughter to live in. And he wanted her to live in a future where um, like women have uh, the same opportunity to do what men do in tech. And that's why he started NG Atlanta, a conference where he put diversity as the top priority. I know he has been funding it from his own pocket, so it's not like many other commercially run conferences or conferences that rely just on uh, sponsors, but is actually putting a considerable chunk of money at risk for running this conference. So I really admire Ch uh, Zach for doing that. So that's my first pick. And then the second thing uh, is an interesting book recommended to me by Shai Resnick called Why We Sleep, which makes me uh, want to sleep until 1 a.m. every single day. So uh, if you are interested in the impact of sleeping or not sleeping 
and bringing coffee and alcohol uh, on your life, then it's a very interesting read. Very and cool. Thank you. All right, one last question for both of you. If people want to find you online, where do they find you? Twitters, the Twitters. We are on the Twitters, right, Neta? Yes, we are. Sometimes at the same time. Wow. Do you want us to give out our handles? Yeah, give out your handles. If you have a blog or a website, uh, GitHub is usually a good one to put out there too. Okay, well, you can find me on Medium uh, under under my name, Neta Bondi, and then uh, my Twitter handler, my Twitter... My, this, it's very late here. <laughs> My Twitter handle is underscore bondit underscore. Awesome. And uh, I'm Orish Aked on Twitter, Orish on GitHub and on Medium. For people who want to talk to me about their community efforts, about blogging, about their careers, uh, basically about ideas that they have, about anything that could also be interesting for, for me to talk. I have a weekly spot in my calendar called Community Hours, where you can just uh, uh, have an hour of chat with me. It's like a podcast, but one-on-one. -on -one. So you can also find the details on my uh, Medium blog. Just look for the Community Hours post. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thank you both for coming. Thank you for having so us. Jack. Thank, Thank you. you for joining. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>